Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. Hey guys, thank you so much for joining us again online. My name is Arnaldo. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor Southwest. Um, and if you're joining us here today, uh, what we're doing is a little bit different. We're actually taking a break from some of our larger series. Last week, we just finished uh, the book of Ephesians. And next week, we're going to embark on a 13 or 14 week journey through the book of Exodus. Uh, and so what we're doing here today is actually uh, kind of going back to our very first time in this room, uh, looking back at who God is calling us to be and looking forward uh, to together working on uh, realizing that dream. Really, today is me dreaming out loud. It is uh, dreaming about the kind of community that we can be together. It's dreaming about the kind of family I believe God is calling us to form. It's dreaming about the kind of people who will be formed in the ways of love for the sake of the world. You can consider it an open letter from me to you. And if you're checking us out and you haven't committed to being a part of the family here at Anchor, we would uh, love for you to consider that. Maybe you've moved into the area or uh, you're just checking us out. We would love to connect uh, with you. But before we jump in, help me pray. Father, we um, thank you again for your goodness to us. Uh, we thank you that in fact you are good and that the truest reality in the universe is that you are good. And so as we explore uh, this vision about what it means to be Anchor Southwest, Lord, I pray that you would help me to forget the things that are not gonna be helpful for your people. Help me to remember the things that will be. And I pray, Lord, for those now who may be listening in, who are on the fringes, uh, who have may, may have been disillusioned, who may have been even hurt uh, by the church. Lord, I pray that you would renew their spirits, renew their love for you. Um, and we ask for those, Lord, who may be far away from you, that you would bring them near now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do this now because we, we can't. Uh, but I pray that you would use us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So the question we're asking here today is, who are we? Uh, but before we ask that question, we need to ask another very vital question, which is, what are we? And the answer to that question is both simple and multifaceted. It's simple in the sense that we are simply a church. Uh, but because here in the West, uh, and, and I don't mean Southwest, but just our Western culture, a uh, church has become such a part of the fabric of the world, a part of our communities, uh, that oftentimes we kind of don't even think about the church. And when we do, uh, it can often be like in the negative sense. Uh, but the church is not a human invention that exists for the sake of itself. Now, I understand that may have been your experience, but I want to say that the church is not a human invention that exists for the sake of itself. Rather, this is what the church is. The church is the embodied space, the embodied people, where God gets to show off what he can do in, with, and through a community of broken people. The church isn't a building in as much as we need buildings to meet in, the church exists so that a people may be formed in the ways of love, in the way of Jesus for the sake of 
the world. The church in its weakness, and maybe even especially in its weakness, is a sign of the victory of God. The victory of God over the powers and principalities of this world. And this victory, it's shown here in part, but one day it will be fully revealed when Jesus, the head of the church, returns. The church is an outpost of heaven. It is made up of ambassadors for Christ. The church is a hospital for the sick, an oasis for the weary. The church is a place where we come to get our marching orders as we embody the love of Christ to our neighbors and our friends and our families. And yes, even and maybe especially our enemies. The church is a beautiful creature of the word, a place now where the glory of God rests. We're called as redeemed sinners and as imperfect saints to be loved ones, to incarnate the love of God. And that means something. It means that we're all in this together, striving side by side. It means not just that we, you know, it doesn't mean that we're, we're this band of loose individuals aimlessly wandering. We're not a crowd of spectators as the church, and this is not a product to consume. It's not a show to come and watch, despite the reality that right now you're sitting at home and watching this on a screen. Uh, The church is not a a club that meets for two hours on Sundays because what we do when we get together under the word of God and uh, observing the table, communion, is really a pregame huddle. So often we think that this is the game. Sundays, 10 to 12 or whenever your church meets or, you know, 2 o'clock, whatever. We often think that this is the game. This is, this is what, what is, you know, uh, what we are uh, doing. And this is a telos. This is the end of what we're doing. But this isn't the game. This is practice. The game is your 90,000 hours that you will spend at work over your lifetime. The game is the place of your dwelling, your, your home, where you have to learn to love well. The game is in your neighborhoods and schools and parks and gyms and cafes. And that's where you will live most of your life as sent ones. The church is a factory for sent ones. We are a people on mission because God is a God who is on mission. So that's what the church is. It's it's, it's a body of people who are on mission with Jesus and the power of the Spirit. But who are we going to be? What is going to shape us specifically, particularly as the people of God where we are? Who is Anchor Southwest? Now, while we can say a million things because we're made up of a very diverse, a diverse group of people with stories that are still being written, stories that are still being told, I want to isolate five realities, five realities that are close to my own heart that I would love to see shape this community. And the first one is that we are a gospel-centered people. 
Now I know, I know you may, you know, you may have heard this term over and over again, gospel-centered, gospel-centered, gospel-centered. It's become saturated over the past decade or so. There's gospel-centered parenting and gospel-centered marriage and gospel-centered baking and gospel-centered home ownership and gospel-centered driving. I get it. It, it. it can get drowned out and lose its appeal, but, but hear me out for just a moment. Being gospel-centered isn't just a moniker that you put on anything to sound pious or biblical. What we mean when we say that we seek to be formed as gospel-centered people is this. This means that our lives, our very lives, are shaped by the narrative of the Bible, of the scriptures, which have at its climax Jesus ruling and reigning on the throne with the people that he has rescued through his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. You see, the gospel is good news that death has been dethroned, that there is a new king, that shame has been broken, that sin has been defeated, that the snake that had its body wrapped around the soul of this world has been defanged, that the one who was dead is alive forevermore, never to taste death again. And for Paul, this is of first importance. This is of absolute first importance. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that is good news. Listen, that is, that is great news. It is good news because you are invited now to participate in the life of God, the God who made this all possible, the fact that there is a, a seat at the table for you. But I, you know, I get it. You know, I, I still have anxiety when I go to a wedding reception. So, you know, when you go to the wedding, you know, the wedding reception, you, you, you get a, uh, uh, an invitation in the mail. And sometimes even when I preach at a wedding, I still get this anxiety, right? So you rock up, I rock up to the reception and you go to that large cardboard that's really sort of crowded to figure out which table you're at. And I, I'm always feeling this anxiety that they forgot me, that somehow my name is nowhere there. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to have to sort of walk out uh, with my face fallen to the ground every single time. But the reality is that you are not, not only not forgotten, but you are celebrated. You are an honored guest at the banquet in the kingdom of God. He sees you and he knows you and he likes you and he desires you and he loves you. And this is good news. And that's why we are gospel-centered people. The second thing is that we are a spirit-led people. We're not only a gospel-centered people, but a spirit-led people. And this means that we cultivate uh, the attitudes and the dispositions so that we can grow in our awareness of the Holy Spirit's guiding. In Acts chapter 2, it's just a central, pivotal point as the people of God, where uh, uh, God is, God the Holy Spirit is poured out. The long-awaited Spirit is poured out on all. Men and women, children, slaves, free, all receive the Spirit. And we are a community of the Spirit. And this doesn't only mean that we create a context where we can have expressive worship. It doesn't mean less. Uh, but for us, it means so much more. 
that as we're formed into the image of Jesus, we are awakened to the indwelling presence and power of the Spirit. And this is central because, listen, God lives in us. We are now the place where heaven and earth meet. We are now walking Garden of Edens. We are now walking and mobile temples. We are now the place where people can get a sneak preview into what one day will be fully and forever true. God will be with his people. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 calls the church collectively the temple of the Spirit. And so we are not only the display case of God to the world, but we are actually being led by this God, by the Holy Spirit in the world. Paul reminds the Galatians about this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, real quick, I just want to say uh, what Paul doesn't mean here. He's not talking about flesh as in uh, blood and skin and, and marrow and physicality. There are different ways that Paul uses this word flesh. Paul is not anti-matter. He's not anti-body. He loves the body because God created the body. The flesh here is speaking about the ways that we are deformed and dehumanized to uh, uh, kind of figure out the world in, in our way that actually leads to dysfunction and chaos, uh, the fall of sin. For the desires, he says, of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so this means that as we pursue Jesus, we will begin to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way. Later on in that chapter, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, singular fruit of the Spirit. There aren't fruits of the Spirit. There's one fruit of the Spirit. We can't be growing in one without growing in all simultaneously. And these fruits are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And these attributes should be and will be in this community like watermarks across everything that we do as we are led by the Spirit of God. Yes, we want to be a gospel-centered people. We also want to be a Spirit-led people. Third, we want to be a radically, radically generous people. But it's not a generosity for generosity's sake, or rather, it's that we seek to be generous with the right things. But as generous people, we want to organize both our calendars, our time, and our checkbooks, our money, in such a way uh, that frees us to give God our best. You know, our generosity isn't some scheme to place other people in our debt. Our generosity flows out of a heart that has understood the gospel, out of a heart that understands just what Christ has done for them, what Christ has given for them. And so we want to faithfully and radically give away our time and our money for the sake of the other. You know, the only way, the only way to be truly free from the love of money is to give it away. One of the many ways that the early Christians 
turned their world upside down was by the way that they handled both their bodies and their money. Pastor and author Timothy Keller, he puts it this way. He says, the early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically everybody their body. And the Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and gave practically everybody their money. If we're going to be a people shaped by the radical nature of the self-giving love of God, just, just pause for just a moment and, and just ponder that for, for, for just a second. That if we are not just playing church, if we don't just want to pretend like we're being shaped by the gospel, you need to hear this. If we are going to be a people shaped by the radical nature of the self-giving love of God, then we will see that all we have is but a gift that is given to us to display how we love God more than the stuff that he loans us. Money and possessions, material goods are great allies in the fight against chaos and darkness in this world, but they will destroy your soul if those allies morph from allies to masters. Greed is insidious because it not only destroys our own souls, but it feeds the systems and the structures of our hyper-capitalist society that not only destroys and rots souls, but creates, sustains, and sustains and maintains these massive and growing gaps between the rich and the poor. And one way that we make a declaration here in the kingdom of God as the people of God, one way that we make the declaration that they will not do so is by being radically generous. So Anchor Church Southwest, I want us to be a people that are radically generous. Fourth, we will be a people that are shaped by justice. We will be a justice people. Justice is not an optional add-on for those who are serious about following Jesus. Justice is intricately connected to the heart that has been grasped and turned over by grace. You know, throughout both Old and New Testaments, we find God time and time again going to bat for the oppressed, for the poor, for the widow. Just a few examples here. Psalm 82.3 says this, Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the afflicted and the destitute. Isaiah 117 says this, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. One of the more famous ones from Micah chapter six says, he has told you, O man, O human, what is good? Women aren't exempt from this command. O human, he has told you what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And just in case you thought this was like an Old Testament thing where God dealt differently with people, this is what Jesus says. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect what? Neglect what? Justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. How is this 
going to unfold, how this is going to unfold in our community is yet to be seen. But this is what I do know, that if we're going to be a people who are marked by the gospel, marked by the goodness of God, justice is not an optional extra. However, the Lord leads us as a community in the coming months and years to partner with him in eradicating evil and injustice, we will use whatever God gives us to do so. This may look vastly different to what other churches and places in other cities across the world, across the world may be doing, but we will pursue the flourishing of the least of these as the Lord graces us to do. <clears throat> we are stewards and guardians of the world, and it's up to us to enact the justice now that one day will be fully realized as Jesus brings his kingdom. Because at the heart of God's plan is shalom and the flourishing of this world. We are a justice people. Fifth and finally, I want to say that we want to pursue deep, deep humility. We want to be a deeply humble people. And we'll pursue being this kind of people with a knowledge of our limitations, that we don't have all the answers. Now, we alone as Anchor Southwest or, or even as a part of the family of churches are not the end all and be all. The Spirit was here before us and He will remain if the Lord tarries well after we are gone and erased from the history books. We are not the first on the scene. We're not first responders. And we will not be the last if the Lord decides to tarry. So we will, with humility, lean on other traditions of our Christian formation and being in the world uh, as, we, uh, as we drink from the vast well of our Christian history and story. We'll aim in everything we do to count others as more significant than ourselves, because that's simply who God is. I mean, I mean ch listen, check this out. Philippians 2, right? Th th this is a picture of what, what could be um, a Christ's life, and it begins in glory. And Paul says this in Philippians 2, uh, I believe, uh, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So pause for a moment. What he's saying is, whatever I'm about to say, whatever I'm about to lead you through, I want this to be your mindset. I want this to be the way that you view the world. I want this to way, be the way that you view yourself, the way you view others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who we know from eternity past was in glory. Who, though he was in the form of God, glory, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that word there, grasped, he, he, he didn't hoard godness. He was, uh, uh, God is so secure in himself that he didn't have to hoard his godness. And what did he do? But he emptied himself. Emptied himself by taking the form of a slave. Being born in the likeness of men. And in that way, God becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ historically 2,000 years ago. And being found in human form, Paul continues in Philippians 2, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. We cannot fathom the distance between the glory that Jesus had before he became man, the second person of the Trinity, 
to the point of death as a criminal, as someone who deserved to die in the eyes of both the religious establishment and the governments of the time. But Paul continues, even death on a cross, even deeper than simply death, this death on a cross, the most repugnant type of death that you could imagine during that time, shameful, incredibly painful. Jesus, who, who had glory for eternity past, subjected himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I got some good news, though. I, I got some real good news that that's not where he is today. That there was a glorious resurrection by the power of God that on the third day, Jesus stared death in the face and walked out of that grave. And therefore, Paul finishes Philippians 2, 5 to 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him every name, bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And we are sitting with him in the heavenlies today. This is unimaginable. The humility of God is staggering. I love the way that the second century uh, writer Melito of Sardis put it. He said this. He said, so he was raised on a cross and a title was fixed, indicating who it was who was being executed. Painful it is to say, but more terrible not to say. He who suspended the earth is suspended. He who fixed the heavens is fixed. He who fastened all things is fastened to the wood. The master is outraged. God is murdered. Now tell me, what is the only, and I mean only, logical response to Pride? Hate? One-upmanship? Jockeying for prime position? Allowing this truth to take root in our imaginations can only mean that we become more and more like this good and beautiful God. And that is that we will pursue becoming a deeply humble people because our God is deeply humble. Really, the only question is, uh, for you now, is not only do you want to become a part of what God is doing here at, at Anchor Southwest, but do you want to be someone who actually helps us get there? I'm so encouraged and humbled myself to be called to serve this community in these, in these ways. And my deepest fear is that this would remain on the surface for us. That's, that's a real fear for me, that we would fail to embody these truths. I'm not, I'm not in a rush. This is, we're, we're talking about the long game. This is a sprint, not, uh, rather, this is a marathon, not a sprint. My fear is that our talk would outpace our walk, that our charisma in speaking about these things will outstrip our character in fulfilling these things. And the question for us is can we do this together? And I wholeheartedly believe that we 
can. And I believe that God is with us. I believe God has called us to partner with him in being formed in him for the sake of the world. I believe that God is calling us to a long obedience in the same direction. I believe God is calling us to put to death these false dreams of what a false community would look like and take up the call of walking these truths together. There's a, a beautiful saying that's attributed to, to, attributed to the Asaro tribe of Indonesia and Papua New Guinea. It says this, knowledge of, of all these things, knowledge of, of all these things is only a rumor until it lives in the muscle. Until it becomes muscle memory for us, this will all be a rumor. So the question is, will this just be a rumor at Anchor Southwest? Or, we will or will we commit together to pursue this vision of what we can be? A missional people shaped by the gospel. A missional people led by the Spirit. A missional people marked by radical generosity. A missional people marked by justice, and a missional people marked by deep humility, all being held in the center by the deep love of God. You know, my prayer is that you would not only find home here with us at Southwest, but that you would finally find the rest of God's love for you in Christ. And so if you're here and, and you may not consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a, a disciple of Jesus, and you're, you may be just waking up to the beauty and the goodness of him, I pray that you would find home in him. I pray that you would connect with us and let us know. We would love to walk with you. We would love to talk with you and pray with you as you surrender to the one who is love. And for Anchor Southwest, uh, just a last couple words is let's get after it. God has something marvelous in store for us. It may be difficult, it's going to be long, but it's going to be a beautiful story that we have the opportunity to write in this city to be a people marked by these truths, not for our sake, but for the sake of the world. So let's together be faithful to what God has in front of us. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have called us to this. We thank you that you have, in your wisdom, have not treated us like puppets, but have given us agency and will, and you have freed us to follow you. And so I pray that we would use our agency, that we would use our will, that we would use our decision-making, that we would use everything that you've given us to follow hard after you, that we would be a people shaped by the gospel, deeply, deeply shaped by the gospel, that we would be a people that are led by your Holy Spirit, that we would be a people marked by radical generosity, that we would be a people that are marked by your heart of justice for this world, and that we would be a people, Lord, who are deeply humble. All these things we pray for our joy and for your glory, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. And amen. We'd love for you to continue uh, hanging out with us here. Uh, we'll let you know how things uh, evolve and whether we're going to come back into this room physically all together. 
but I invite you to uh, join us with worship now and, and hang out with us for a while. If you have communion, that'll be a great time uh, to uh, take it as we are singing together. Uh, we love you and looking forward to opening up the book of Exodus in the next couple months with you starting next week. Bless you.